You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. I'd like to open us up with the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 14, 21 through 28. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. I'm going to read it for us. I should have Daniel come up and read it, but I'll read it for us. <clears throat> God's Word says this. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through... Pisidia, and came to Pamphylia. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. From there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been uh, commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them, that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Church, let's pray. God, we need your help to see this, and we need your help to do it. Help me to preach it. Help us to hear it or to make it open to our eyes and our ears that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, we seek that this would be transformative to us. It's your word, and it's intended here to be an encouragement to people in hard places. And Lord, we're in a hard place. At least we think we are. And there are many others around the world in hard places, so God, encourage them and equip them, that you remind them, remind us that your word is doing the great work. Lord, thank you for these young people that are seeing this at a young age and boldly, faithfully serving and helping in all these various places around the church and all these various service opportunities in their communities and at their schools. And Lord, let us just take a lesson from them. So move in us this morning and stir in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have been a, an evangelical Christian here in Utah for, for any length of time, you've probably come to realize that this can be a difficult place. This is a difficult place for Christians. And sure, not like the get a boulder thrown in your face in Lystra Paul kind of difficult, you know, not that kind of difficult, uh, but still there's difficulty here. It's difficulty in different ways. It's just, it's the little things. I think maybe what comes to my mind first is loneliness. You know, it just can be lonely and isolating, maybe. Yes, maybe that's your circumstance. I mean, there are places in our state where there's just one little tiny Christian church with a steeple with a cross on top, a pastor trying his best. He's got to be bivocational because they can't even afford to pay him. There's you know, half a dozen, a dozen people that worship the Lord there and have been for years, and they don't see how the church could even continue, and it just seems lonely, and it maybe seems impossible. That's hard. Or, or, or church planters who've come, I, I, by the grace of God, and the, praise the Lord, we planted a church. I was a church planter, and, uh, and it's still going today, and we're sitting in, in this merged of two churches that were planted, but how many church planters have come and labored and toiled and endured, and they're not even here anymore? One and two and three and four years, and just, it's hard work. It's difficult. Sometimes it seems, uh, sometimes it seems like our witness 
The witness for Christ is like this, this little candle, just this little, little tiny flickering wick. Little tiny light is almost about to go out. She's barely holding on. You ever feel that? For those of you who are sharing the gospel, and praise the Lord you are, it can seem like an endless line of rejection, can't it? You're telling people, you're telling people, you're telling them, you're just getting, you're just getting blasted with, I don't want to hear it, knows whatever name call. I mean, it can be hard. Okay, so it's not like the getting killed for your faith. It's not like the, the persecution that happens, but there is something here that just seems impossibly difficult. Doesn't it? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe you can relate. I, I think I've heard enough stories to know that it's, it's hard here. But despite the hardships, right, despite that difficulty, God's word does the kingdom work that God intends even here in hard places like Utah and around the world in places that seem impossible. Despite the hardships, God's work does what God promises it will do. So maybe you remember the opening in chapter 14, Pastor Josiah preached that, where, where Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel in Iconium. And it started out pretty good, didn't it? A lot of people were listening, they wanted to hear more. It started out pretty good. But then some, well, we saw like Jews and Greeks believe. That's great, right? But some of the unbelieving Jews stirred up the people. They riled up the people and they, they fought against the gospel message that was being preached, and, and they worked to thwart the efforts, right? And then, then Paul found out there were some people that wanted to kill him in Iconium. So that sounds hard. I mean, that sounds really hard. So they said, you know, we're going to move on. We're going to go to Lystra and keep preaching the gospel. And it started out pretty good in Lystra too, didn't it? But then those unbelieving Jews from the other towns showed up, and they got the people all fired up again. And what happened? This time, they threw bowling, bowling ball-sized stones into Paul's head and face and knocked him to the ground and can, probably kept throwing those on him and piled him up and assumed he was dead. And then they grabbed him by the legs, or they grabbed him. I mean, it says they drug him, but I'm, in my mind, they're dragging him with his arms behind him, and he's being drugged by his legs out of town. That sounds hard. I mean, that sounds really hard. They believed he was dead. But he wasn't. By the power of God, this amazing thing, he, get, he gets up and he actually goes back into that town for the night, which is insane. Hard. And then the next day, he and Barnabas had left for Derby, another town. Like, we're, gonna, we're moving on. We're preaching the gospel. Now, verse 21 in our text you want to look at that, it says, after they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, dot, dot, dot. So, so far, this is sounding really good. This is how it starts out, right? They preached the gospel. A lot of disciples are happening. It turns out in this town, it doesn't seem like there's any persecution. They had made, it says, many disciples. These are the results they're looking for, right? This is what the church planters want. This is good. Time to start a building campaign. Let's get a building up. Let's get a big steeple up. Let's go. Let's move in. Let's, let's put a beachhead here and live here the rest of our days. We'll be buried here where, you know, we're, we're going to preach the gospel, make lots of disciples, raise up the generation. Sounds pretty good. This is the town to stay in. This is the one they were looking for. Not so hard here, right? Woo! No, that's not how that went. After they had preached the gospel in that town, it says, and made many disciples, look at the rest of it, they returned to Lystra, 
to Iconium, and to Antioch. Huh. That's kind of shocking. They were persecuted in, in Antioch. 1351 says Paul and Barnabas, when they left, shook the dust off their feet when they left Antioch. I was like saying, we don't even want the dirt of your town on us. You're on your own. Peace out, Antioch. Good luck to you. We're out. We're done with you. Antioch. But they went back to Antioch. Iconium. That was where the plan to kill Paul was hatched. That's where all that stuff happened. It was crazy. So they went to Lystra, and then when Lystra is where they thought they killed him. That's where they thought they carried it out. And then they nearly did. Nope. Only barely got him. So all these disciples in Derby, all this stuff going really well, and they say, we need to go back. Let's go back to, oh, I know, the hardest places on the planet we've probably ever been. Let's do that. Of all the options, we could go anywhere. Not Hawaii, because they didn't know Hawaii existed, but we could go anywhere. Let's go back to those super hard places. Let's go back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. What in the world? Crazy. In 2006, me, Lisa, Asher, and um, our two dogs, we packed everything up. The other kids weren't born yet. And uh, we said, adios, Utah. Peace out. When we hit the border, the Idaho border, we like shook the dust off our shoes and said, we're done with this. this is, we've had enough. We've had our fill. It's hard to be a Christian in Utah. And you know what happened? Six months later, God said, I have a plan for you in Utah, where you just left. Head on back. Pack it all back up. Load up the truck, right? Six months later, God does some wild things with us, doesn't he? Like I never in my wildest dream six months earlier thought that would have been the plan, yet we came back with smiles on our face, equipped for the mission, ready to go, because when God calls you, go. Right, so why would Paul and Barnabas go back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of all places? Okay, why? Why go back to the hard places? I think that's the most shocking part about the passage. Look at verse 22. Take a look here. Strengthening the disciples, they continued in the faith by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I know most of you probably dialed in on hardships, right? It's necessary to go through hardships. That's what you saw. How many of you saw the word disciples? Like, that's surprising, isn't it? There were disciples in these hard cities that Paul and Barnabas returned to. So let's go back to the beginning. Two guys show up in town. They express the message of Jesus Christ. People believe. Then those guys practically get killed, and they leave. So you're one of those new, brand spanking new Christians. You have no idea what's going on. What, what do you do? What's your next step? Now what do we do? Those guys, now what? The, uh, I, what's the next step? Keep believing probably wouldn't have been what I would have expected to read. That's what they were encouraged with. I keep believing. They went back because... God called them to go back to those disciples, but there's more. Look at verse 23. When they had appointed elders, that's another word for pastor, 
when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Okay, now my mind is completely and totally blown. Not only were there still some believers, but there were churches. Okay, not the physical buildings, not the steeple, but a church is a gathering of believers together. There were churches, plural. There were churches, plural groups, like multiple churches, pastorless. None of them had a pastor, not one. And they needed pastors. So Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church. So it's suggested of these three towns, there's at least more than one. And the implication seems to be there's at least three, one in every town, if not more gathering of Christians in every town. That happened after Paul and Barnabas left. After what happened to Paul? And let's think about this. That guy's preaching the gospel. They tried to kill him. After all that, who answers the call to be the first pastor in the church in that town? That's a dangerous calling. That's insane. That might be a death sentence. Yet they appointed elders for those churches. Where do they find them? Where do they come up with the church? Like, how do they do this? This is amazing. This is remarkable. I think Luke, the author of the book of Acts, wants us to see that against anything we might expect to be the case, like in the face of grave danger and hardship and difficulty, God's word did something shocking and unexpected in the hardest places. God's word did it. It caused people to be saved, to be redeemed, and start following Jesus and gather with other believers and, and worship God together as a church. God's word did the work. God's plan, God's strategy, God's MO is how he's going to do it. Paul and Barnabas weren't even there. They weren't even there. Is that not shocking? That is remarkable to me. That is crazy. I, I almost find that unbelievable. Having tried to plant the church, I, I'm, that blows my mind. And here's the thing. If anyone had it hard, it was them. It was these Christians in these towns, these new Christians, without a long track record, without some seminary, without a Christian bookstore, without big Christian music conferences, and, and without radio stations, and without all the resources, they didn't have a Bible printed in language they could read, right? They, in that circumstance, where they had it hard, Paul and Barnabas went and encouraged them. Okay, so, so what did Paul and Barnabas say to encourage these people in these really, really hard places? Look at verse 22 again. Strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. Like, keep going. Hold on to this thing. They encourage them to continue in the faith and, now here's the real encouragement, by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> All right. It is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This is where the non-Christian checks out. See ya. Who needs this? I, I'm, I, no, thank you. I think not. Right? And if eh, that seems like a reasonable thought, but if that's your thought, I don't really have an answer for you that will satisfy you. 
of how this is even working. Because on the surface, it makes no sense. But God's word, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says, it looks like folly to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. The Bible makes it clear that we don't work we don't toil for our own salvation. Jesus does that work for us. We couldn't do it at all. And he rescues us. So this hardship isn't about earning our salvation, working for our salvation, suffering, earning merit, getting time out of purgatory. It's none of that stuff. It's none of that. It's something else that we're seeing here. This is what happens because the gospel has changed us and is doing a work in us. Our eyes have been open. We can't unsee it. Our ears are open. We can't unhear it. And now it's just that it, there's a change happening in us. So, so now something is happening. So now as Jesus is sustaining his saved, blood-bought people, and he's, he's bringing them, he's bringing us into his kingdom, as he's doing that, the unsaved world, the unbelievers, want us back. So they fight against our salvation. They fight against our beliefs. They fight against our confession. They want to have none of it. They persecute the work of Jesus. They become totally intolerant of believers because they are totally intolerant of Jesus Christ. And they don't want to be reminded of any of that. They want to fight it. They'd even be willing, like we see these believers do, to travel all the way to another town and make all this effort to murder somebody. So when that change happens in us, the world wants us back. Acts 4.2 says it was the unbelieving Jews who stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Then it was the unbelieving Jews who traveled to Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowds, it says in Acts 14.19, and tried to kill Paul. This hardship isn't because of Jesus. It isn't because Jesus is hard or Christianity is hard. It's because an unbelieving world isn't having Christ for themselves, so they won't allow it for anybody else, and they make it hard. That's the hard part we're talking about here. That's what we've seen. But here's what happens. God changes our affections. We have a heart of stone. He, he, he changes it to a heart of flesh. He opens our eyes. We once loved the things that would bring our own destruction, and now we love the things that, that bring us life and life in his name. That we're, we're walking to Jesus. We love him. He's changed the affections. We can't change that. We love who we love, Jesus Christ. He's made that happen. He opens our eyes and our ears to hear this truth. He saves us, and now as Jesus is sustaining us, we have to, at this point, travel through this hostile world to the kingdom of glory that awaits us. He's like, this is, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. It's not going to be easy. And so knowing this and, and holding on to Christ and his truth encourages us. And it sustains us so that we can keep going. That's what Paul and Barnabas' encouragement is, isn't it? That's what it was. Continue in the faith. Keep going. One foot in front of the other. Keep going. Stay faithful. Hold on. And remember that it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So like you've been invited to the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. But there's these bandits and these raiders that are out digging holes in the road and making the road a bit bumpy, trying to stop us. They make it hard, but stay on the path. Stay on the path and hey, hey, keep going. And don't forget that Jesus is with you. 
And he promised that he will get you there if you are his. If you're his, he's getting you there. So hold on to the promise when the going gets tough. Just hang on tighter. In the 17th century, in England, there was a man who was imprisoned. And this is the sole reason for his imprisonment. He was imprisoned because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. All total, he was imprisoned for 12 years because he wouldn't promise to stop preaching saving truth in a world that needed to hear it. His name was John Bunyan. While he was in prison, he wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you have read this. I hope you've read this. It's still in print in multiple languages around the world, multiple different types of versions. It's been made into movies. And it has sold over 250 million copies, which is amazing since it's in the public domain and has been for a long, long time, and you can get it for free almost anywhere. It's amazing it's sold that many copies. It's an allegory. So it's a, it's a story. It's an allegory of, of this, this man. He's got this bird that he's journeying to God's kingdom. Right? And he has to go through all these hardships, and it's an encouragement. It draws from so much scripture and so much imagery of the Bible. It's so encouraging. About 200 years later, there was another man in England named Charles Spurgeon who went through all kinds of hardships, to include depression. The man had all kinds of bouts with depression constantly. And he wrote that he read this book every year to sustain him through the difficulty because it encouraged his soul. He found it that encouraging. He started reading it. It was on his grandfather's shelf when he was a little boy. And he read it every year of his life, sometimes twice, for the encouragement. And I find it really encouraging, too. I've read it a few times, and I really find its story very encouraging. But here's the thing. It's not saying anything different than Paul and Barnabas are saying. It's just a longer, wonderful story built on the very same thing. Continue in the faith, and remember that it's necessary to go through hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Same message, same encouragement. There are trials and there are hardships. But if God saved you, he will sustain you. He will carry you through the hardships all the way to the end. You know why? Because he said he would. And if he doesn't do it, he's a liar. And if he's a liar, we won't believe him. He looks silly. His reputation is on the line. If he doesn't get his people through the hardships to the kingdom in glory. And he does. He does. His word did the work to save you. His word. You didn't do that. He did that. <clears throat> and his work will do the work to sustain you through whatever may come. So hold on to the promises. I mean, like, hold on to the promises. And remember that God is working even when it's hard. It looks hard, but he's working. It's hard in your life, but he's working. It's hard in our community, but he's working. God is working. We see that in this text. We see that around us if we look. If you're not a Christian, and you're unsure about all this stuff, maybe you're watching the video, you're in here, and you're just unsure, I want to offer you something else to think about. God sends his saved people, his redeemed people, back into this hostile world. 
with the message of salvation to proclaim that word that does the work, the gospel, to take it out to proclaim it, the highways and the byways, to endure all these hardships, to share with others, to tell others. Maybe someone has told you about Jesus' perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Maybe they've told you about the hope that is in them. Maybe they've been praying for you, hoping beyond hope. Maybe they've told you what you must do to be saved. If you've never heard that, come talk with me after the service. I'd love to show you. I'd love to talk with you about it. But, but chances are maybe there are people in your life that are coming around you and they're trying to, to tell you what you need to do that you might have the right to become a child of God. They might want to tell you about Jesus. So think about this. How easy would it be for them just to keep their mouth shut? To not bring it up. To not even let, them, let you know they're a Christian. To not even make it known. Just to crouch down and hide. They've got salvation. They could just let you do you. Stand before God. However that's going to go, good luck. And yet, they are willing to obey God, who sustains them, to endure the hardship, so that out of love for you, you might have the opportunity to become a child of God and be saved. I just want to challenge you to at least hear him out. Give him at least that much. I once heard, um, I think it's Gillette Teller, Penn and Teller, who's not a Christian, say one time after a show, a man handed him a Bible and wanted to share the gospel with him. And he said it impacted him deeply that that guy would care enough about what he believes to share with somebody else what that man absolutely is convinced is saving truth and necessary. And then he said this, and it just rings in my ears. How much do you got to hate somebody to not share the gospel with them? So we endure hardships to proclaim this message to those who need to hear. And Christian, this text reminds us, right? This text reminds us that it's hard, right? We're traveling through this world that's hostile. I don't think we disagree with that, right? It's hostile to God. It's hostile to Christians. There are hardships, and there will be more. There was more for them, and it got way harder for them. In various ways, it could be more for us. It could be a lot harder for us. It could get much more difficult than it is, but the responses and the, and the encouragement is and the challenges and the command is continue in the faith. Don't give up. Like, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't crouch down. Don't hide, up, hide out. God has this worked out for you. He will sustain you because he does the work. So we endure these hardships and we trust that he's going to do the work. So keep taking the gospel message back to your neighbors and back to your family who keeps telling you no. Back to your coworkers. Don't crouch down. Don't hide. It might be hard. It might get worse. There will be consequences in this life. But eternity for those you love is at stake. Endure the hardships for this little moment. And don't worry about it because Jesus will get you all the way to the end. And hopefully because you're proclaiming the word, others will hear and he'll get them to the end too. Trust God with the results. Just, just trust the Lord in that. Okay, there's one more thing. One final thing I want us to see. You find it in the last paragraph of what we've read. Okay, in the last paragraph of our text this morning, it says, Paul and Barnabas 
They went back to the church that sent them out in the first place. The, the, the church that commissioned them to go into the world and share this gospel. Verse 27, it says, After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. They did not gather the church together to bemoan all the persecutions and all the hardships. They did not have a let's see how bad it's going to get conference. They did not sit around and try to re-strategize how to craft a message so it would be more palatable. They didn't come up with strategies in dealing with these hardships and, and staying away from them. They didn't get into like, let's exegete the community and have a missiological thing. They said, no, no, no. We preach the word despite the possible threats and hardships. And God took what we did and did the work he said he would do and started churches, saved souls, glorified himself in a place where his name had never been known. How about that? And you know what they did? They celebrated what God was doing. I wonder if they even knew what happened to, to Paul. I wonder if he's like, don't even bring that up, that's a distraction. Paul, what happened to your face? Well, it wasn't easy. But let me tell you about what God was doing. Right? I wonder. It doesn't say, but I wonder. That's amazing. Let's celebrate what God did. Sometimes we forget, don't we? Sometimes we get really short-sighted. We don't celebrate what God is doing. We need to be serious about celebrating the little things and the big things and everything that God is doing. We need to report these great and wonderful works that we see. We need to worship Him and celebrate Him and see it. You know why? Because it helps remind us that the hardships are momentary and light. The potholes in the road will not stop Jesus from getting you to His kingdom. We need to see the bigger picture. Really, church, I mean this. Some of us really need to take stock of God's work daily and overcome this weird obsession to focus on the hardship, to focus on where the world is bad, to focus on all the things that look impossible, to get all freaked out about what's coming to Christians in the future. That is not helpful. In fact, it hurts. It's causing you to be down and depressed and hopeless. And yet, if we focus on the work that God is doing, if we look to that every day, and we share it every day, maybe write it on a little note and put it in a jar, and every once in a while we're feeling down, pull that huge pile of notes we've written down to be encouraged of the work God is doing every day, maybe we'll have more hope. Maybe we'll shun that anxiety and that fear and that worry. Maybe it'll, it'll grow in us this, this deep desire to worship so that when we're, we're singing these songs and we're, we're singing things in the lyrics that are just moving our souls, we burst out in cheer. Because we know God is doing the work and he's saving us and he's, he's saving those around us and he's growing his church and it's a witness to the world that God is in control of it and we won't have to worry about all the other nonsense. But most of us, we're just anchored to the nonsense. We're just freaked out all the time. It's meaningless. None of that stuff. It's momentary. It can't stand up in the slightest against the magnitude of the things God is doing. But we don't even see it because we're looking at the wrong stuff. They got together and they celebrated what God is doing. 
They cheered and they clapped. They said, only God could do this. It's amazing. What an encouragement. And don't you think that while they were doing that, it was encouraging them to stay strong in the faith? And encouraging them to move forward as they watched what was happening in other parts of the world and other difficulties while other Christians were going through hardships and trials or saying, God is sustaining them. Praise the Lord. And he sustains us. So celebrate what the missionaries are doing around the world. Celebrate the work you see around the world. Celebrate what you see in our community. Celebrate what you see in here, in this room. People start coming a little more and they're fellowshipping. People start serving in one way or another. People start seeing the gospel in this new way. People are getting baptized. We celebrate that. People are leading us in worship and seeking to study and doing more and more and more. Where's all that coming from? Their strength? No, God's strength. God's doing it. Let's celebrate it. Because it's awesome. And it glorifies God. And in the celebration, it strengthens us to continue in the faith as well. So let's give thanks to what God is doing. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, Lord, I thank you there's even a church here. Just seeing how all that came about, the merge, the stuff that came before, the planting, the, all the steps over the many years, the faithful people who brought the gospel to, to Utah, and the faithful people who started other churches, and the faithful people who shared the gospel with us so that we could be saved, and the faithful people that equipped us. Lord, I just praise you for all of it. And the baptism last week's, and the ones before that, Lord, and the faithful saints who have who've gone before, I thank you for the word, Lord, that, that people jeopardize their life to write, inspired by you, to print, to distribute. Lord, even this word, I think of the hardships of people like William Tyndale, people who were killed and imprisoned even for the word we read today. Thank you, Lord. And God, I want to ask that you would sustain those people, those Christians in the very hard places that are just holding on, in war-torn areas of the world, in places where, where just the name of Christ invokes a death sentence. Lord, equip them, strengthen them, strengthen the missionaries in those places, Lord, because we know you're doing the work. Sustain them all the way to the end, that we would be worshiping with them in glory, praising you for all you've done, and we will marvel at what they endured for your glory. God, maybe we're not dealing with those kinds of things, but Lord, let us not just say, well, it's not that. Instead, Lord, let us please remind us that even in the little things we struggle with, to give it back to you, to trust you, to continue in the faith. Even in the, the, the unseen little difficulties, Lord, let us trust in you in that. And God, please, please fill us so that we'd be overflowing in the celebration of the amazing things that you do. Oh, God, we love you. Oh, we are so thankful that you are carrying us to the end. So, Lord, we just want to be people who give you all the praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.